Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. This week, I am joined by Neil Ostrout, longtime UConn beat writer for the Journal Inquirer in Manchester, Connecticut. We will discuss the big news in college sports, and that is UConn's plans to leave the American Athletic Conference and return to the Big East. What went into that decision? What does it mean for UConn football? And what does it mean for UConn basketball? Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us on Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you like to get your podcast, you can most likely find us. Please subscribe, and if so inclined, give us a good review. And as usual, you can go to collegefootball.ap.org, where you can read all of AP's college football coverage. And away we go. So my guest this week to talk about, well, the news of the week and what was a uh, relatively quiet offseason became uh, a little more interesting because we found out that UConn uh, is revving up the conference realignment machine and heading <laughs> soon, it will be official uh, as we record this on Tuesday afternoon, from um, the American to the Big East, they'll do at least one more year in the American. So I'm going to bring on Neil Ostrout from the Journal Inquirer in Manchester, Connecticut. He has covered UConn sports for a long, long time, right, Neil? Yeah, it's been 20-plus uh, years. Um, back to my college days, even with, without giving away my age, closer to 25. There you go. There you go. Yeah, so so Neil knows the, the university there and the lay of the land and UConn sports pretty well. And I, I, in some ways, you know, the funny thing is we ran into each other at the regional, the NCAA regional in Hartford. You know, me being the football guy, we couldn't help but talk about UConn football and where exactly they would go from there. And inevitably, if you talk UConn sports with anybody over the last couple of years, this idea of possibly, hey, maybe they should just go back to the Big East and not worry so much about football, maybe abandon football altogether, this would always come up. So this has mm-hmm. been something that has been brewing in one way, shape, or form, either on talk radio and clearly behind the scenes for a while now, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, from a fan perspective, I I heard it all the time, you know, from a, a message board, Twitter, you know, a coffee shop, uh, barbershop kind of thing. It was, what are they doing? They have to go back to the Big East, right? And from a practical standpoint, I would always say, yeah, I guess that's an option, but you're basically cutting bait and running with football. How can you do that? And, you know, the discussion would kind of go from there. So, you know, behind the scenes, it's, it's always been kind of, you know, on the forefront. We didn't know, I, I'll admit, I didn't know how much of it was it at the athletic director, university president, you know, conference commissioner level. But apparently it was there, too. And apparently, you know, the school's been kind of not only listening to whispers, but thinking to itself, yeah, maybe that's not the worst idea in the world. Maybe we should really try that. And here we go. And you kind of jump in with both feet in. Let me ask you this, because this is another, you know, one of those conversations or, or things that gets tossed around on Twitter. I threw a tweet out there yesterday and. Mm-hmm. You sort of review like where things went wrong for UConn, and clearly where things went really wrong is the Big East 
broke apart into a zillion, you know, into, into many pieces, yep. and the basketball went one way, and the American was birthed of that. No school lost more in the wave of conference realignment from about 2012 to 2015 than UConn. UConn lost all kinds of status, and it really right. brought down their basketball program in a way that I don't, I don't think even the folks in UConn hoped, and the football sort of went awry. I want to ask you sort of another what-if here. Mm-hmm. What if UConn didn't hire Bob Diaco? And I know yeah. you can even go back to Paul Pasqualoni, which was a little bit of a controversial hire. But you know, Pasqualoni yeah. maybe didn't do a great job, but also didn't burn it to the ground. So when you start to look at the the last couple of football hires for UConn after Randy Edsel leaves, how much do you think that contributed to where we are? Uh, a pretty good amount. I mean, Paul Pasqualoni was maybe a, a C. C-minus hire for UConn. He was a guy who at one point was an excellent, excellent college head coach and remains a pretty good coordinator. Now, had his, he kind of lost his fastball in terms of, you know, a college head coach? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't exactly, you know, kind of the same coach or maybe the game had changed to the point where he wasn't exactly the right fit. And it was not a great hire. And then Bob Diaco comes along and, you know, that's more along the lines of an F and, you know, minus if you're grading really nicely. I mean, it just was a disaster. The fact that he got into a bowl game will remain one of the universe's great mysteries, and you know, I'm still <laughs> not sure that it actually happened. But yeah, no, that certainly set the program back, set the set the school back, set the you know the whole thing in motion to some degree. I I think we might be here if Bob Diaco hadn't been hired. I think it might have gotten to this point anyways. I mean, like you said, UConn was kind of. You know the, the the Kansas football, the the you know maybe Wake Forest. They were they were in the, with the big boys. They weren't necessarily competing every year. They would you know have a year here and there, but they were kind of the in in the big club. Then they were all of a sudden they were kind of the best of the rest, which is kind of a nice title to have, but doesn't do you any good at least financially. And eventually, it doesn't do you any good, you know, fan support wise and TV revenue and contract wise and all that stuff. And so maybe we get here. This year, next year, the year after, if Bob Diaco isn't hired, the UConn is semi-respectable. But I, I think that put the that put the kind of the fast uh, the wheels in motion a little faster, and we got here quicker. And because you know, from the the 125th ranked offense one year to the 137th ranked defense the next year, I mean, the problems go up and down the board across both sides of the ball. You know, all kinds of up and down the athletic department and. You know, you can't, you can't put it all in Bob Diaco, but you certainly can, can eat quite a bit of this. <laughs> so when UConn fans, and again, the administration will be heard on this in the next few days. I mean, we're we're expecting mm-hmm. a dog and pony show at Madison Square Garden to reintroduce UConn to the Big East, though the move itself won't happen until 2020. Uh, there'll be yep. one more lame duck year in the American for 2019. What do you expect the explanations to be as far as because the way I read it, and the way I, I'm sure you do too, is is it like being bad at football is dragging our brand down to the point where it's it's. I imagine there there are probably discussions that the the terribleness of the football pro- program is in some ways hurting the basketball program. Do you think we'll hear something along those lines? What do you think the explanations will be as far as listen? We we need to help basketball, and football is now secondary. Yeah, I mean, it'll be spun as if, you know, by by university and by administrators, is this is a positive football. Like, we, we want to take control of our scheduling, and we're going to have 
carte blanche and you know we're gonna we're gonna do it this way because you know the american in general was not a perfect fit in a lot of ways you know geographically and historic rivalries you know civil conflicts aside obviously uh <laughs> you know and and you know it'll be it'll be spun to the to the degree that well this isn't the death knell of football you know we're not we're not cutting randy loose we're not you know really killing the program we just kind of change in directions and you know is basketball our focus sure sure it is but you know, we still want to be successful with football. We still want to go to bowl games. We still want to do this. We still want to do that. And, you know, that's nice to say, but in, in the reality of the college football world today, it's probably near impossible. I mean, we, we look across the border at UMass around here, and, yeah, I mean, on the field, UMass is okay. You know, they've got some players, and, you know, they're competitive in certain games, but financially, they're struggling, and scheduling-wise, they're struggling, and, UConn is basically signing up for that right now. And that's, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world, but it certainly isn't the, you know, glory days. It certainly isn't, you know, done by a program that that values its football team. What are the financial commitments that UConn made to football really over the last couple of decades, but maybe even more recently? That maybe may have been hard to justify considering (laughs) now where we are, especially when it comes to the stadium, because UConn has a unique, somewhat unique situation in that it is flagship school in the state of Connecticut with a lot of uh, state backing, and I believe a fair Mm -hmm. amount of that went into the stadium. So what are the financial commitments UConn has made to football, and how much of those have come from the state or with a lot of help from the state? Yeah, it's it's really a unique situation in terms of, you know, there there are FBS football teams that don't play on campus, but they usually play in NFL stadiums. And there are, you know, there are state owned stadiums, but usually Sometimes the university runs it. I mean, Rensselaer Field was $91, $91 million back in, that's $2,003. And then there's another 60, 60-some million dollars of facilities on campus and stores. And that's, you know, 2000 what do we call that, $2,008, I guess. So we can, we can do the math, I guess, for inflation. But that kind of investment has, you know, kind of, kind of hamstrung UConn. I mean, you can't, you can't just say, oh, we're going to, we're going to downgrade, or we're going to uh, we're going to cut to eliminate the program. I just don't think state state officials are going to buy that. I mean, they spent so much money, and you know, a good a good portion of it. They got the land donated for the stadium from Pratt and Whitney, but this the state bonded and paid for nearly all of, of Rensselaer Field. So you know, to say that that's just going to sit empty or maybe host you know a, a U.S. soccer qualifier once a year and you know a state football championship once a year and a concert once a year. You know that's that's a that's a huge money loss, and you know it's put the, the the university and the football program in a position where they almost have to be, you know, they don't have to be good because clearly they haven't been, but they have right. to at least try and be good. And you know it's the they just put obviously everybody saw it on Twitter. They've just put new lockers in, redesigning uniforms, you know, doing things that from a monetary standpoint, if you're if you're de-emphasizing or you know making football seem less important, you wouldn't necessarily do that. So it's they're almost, you know, throwing. There's not, not to say that the state is throwing money away, or they're not, and the university isn't either. But they are certainly spending money that doesn't seem like they're going to be taking in revenue very soon. Right. And I, I ask you to explain that just to give listeners an idea of what the investment was and why this was such a difficult move for UConn. Because as you said, you can't just cut bait here. There are a lot of obligations that UConn was sort of hooked into with football that weren't easy to cut and run from. It sounds like 
UConn is moving towards, as you said, the, what UMass did. And, and listen, UMass is maybe the toughest job in all of FBS. And, you know, they haven't had a winning season they, since they moved into FBS. But it's, it's uh-huh. certainly the model that UConn seems to be trending towards. It's that they're not yeah. going to end up with their football in another conference. They're going to end up with football independence. Now, I would actually argue that it's probably better for UConn to be independent than to align themselves with the MAC. They don't really culturally, academically, it's just not the, the, the same university that most MAC schools are. And if you, Conference USA is, I mean, no, no slight to Conference USA, it's kind of a mess right now and would present a lot of the same challenges as far as travel and things along those lines. So I think independence is the best option, and that does seem to be where UConn is headed, correct? Yeah, yeah, we haven't received anything official in that way, but the, the the smart thinking is that that's what they have to be doing. I mean, like you said, it's the American is not going to take a football only member in UConn. That's just you know on paper it's because well Navy, you know the Colonial doesn't off, offer you know FBS football, so that's why we let Navy be a, a football only member. When the reality is you know Navy is competitive and good, and you know people want to see them and people want to play them. Now. The University of Connecticut football team is not that much of a draw, let's be honest. So if you're the American, there is really no reason for you to have UConn football in there and nobody else. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if Notre Dame wanted to be an American member tomorrow football only, obviously they'd trip over themselves trying to take them. But, you know, UConn is just not that, that attractive in that sense. And, yeah, the, I guess the MAC makes a tiny bit of sense, but in reality, not really. You know, I mean, they're not really like-minded schools. And they had the same situation with UMass if they wanted it, you know, a, a fledgling burgeoning whatever you want to call it football program only you know and no other sports and i don't think that you know that moves the needle too much for the mac i don't know if uconn's selling selling tickets at buffalo or at central michigan very often maybe you know half a percent more than a certain guy but no that that doesn't really work and conference usa is you know is just as big a geographic challenge as the american was for uconn i don't think that makes sense for uconn not that it makes a whole lot of sense for conference usa either I don't know if that you know upgrades their their conference very much. Maybe a tad, but you know the the, the name UConn a tad. You know you have a have a, a BCS veteran team coming in. You know so right. you know, everyone's lining <laughs> right. up. For, everyone's lining up to to sign UConn, right? No, I don't. I don't. I don't think that really works either. So the assumption is also that this will help a basketball program that other than, listen, the last national championship that UConn won was in the American. And it was one of the more miraculous things in the history of college sports, if you consider how that team even got into the NCAA tournament and won it as a, what was it, a seven or an eight seed or it won the whole thing? Yep, there- Yep, there were seven, yep. Yeah, so it, it, that was proved to be an outlier and a fluke more than a, something that was foretelling things to come at UConn. Now, you could also make an, uh, a case that UConn basketball has been hindered by a, a you know maybe a wonky hire in Kevin Ollie, and that separation has taken place, and now uh, Danny Hurley is in there, and, and I think that, that has boosted the confidence of a lot of UConn fans some of which are in my family, uh, that, that, that things could be getting better on the basketball side because UConn fans mostly really want basketball to be good. Do you think, this is, and this is totally, you know, I'll just ask you what you think on this one because now we're, we're talking hypotheticals here. Do you think yeah. UConn basketball could have been really good again if it had stayed in the American? No, no. Okay. It, it would have been a little bit better. It would have been helped marginally. I don't think... You know, win-loss record would have been marginally better had it been associated with Big East teams as opposed to American conference teams in the last, you know, 
four or five years, whatever. Um, you know, did, did the American, did being in the American hurt their recruiting? Yeah, I think it did to, to an extreme degree. No, not really. I mean, they still had the UConn brand. They were still, like you said, they're coming off, you know, two national, when they win in, in 14, they have, you know, four titles in, in 20 years. I mean, yeah, it's remarkable. You know, no, it really is. <laughs> no one is hotter. I mean, yeah. So to say that, oh, you go in the American, and now no one wants to play for you. Well, no, that's ridiculous. Of course it is. But did it hurt them a little bit? Sure, sure. Were they were they recruiting from a slightly uh, a slightly smaller pool than they wanted? Yeah. Were they missing out on some kids maybe that were coin flips that might have come if they were in the Big East? Sure. But all in all, maybe only just a little bit. Most the the, the place that UConn got hurt with the American was in was in the pocketbook. It wasn't you know it wasn't necessarily on the field or on the court. And, you know, is this move designed to, you know, instantly put UConn basketball back on top? No, but it certainly was done for basketball. You know, this is this is basically the administration and the athletic department saying, you know, Dan Hurley, look what we're doing for you. Now you got to win. You know, I mean, I think women's basketball, it's largely a lateral move. You know, at UConn, you usually talk about three revenue sports. Most most other schools, it's less. But, you know, women's basketball, I think it's kind of a wash. I think football, obviously, it's a big loss. And you're basically doing it for men's basketball. You're basically doing it to say, we want to win again. We want to be good again. And Dan Hurley, here's your chance. And that's, that's to me, that's exactly how this, why and how this all came about. Yeah. And listen, as someone who grew up in New York City, loving the old Big East, Big East basketball. I grew up on Big East basketball. That was the first yep. college basketball. You know, just if you just from a pure fandom standpoint, yeah, it's neat to see. It will be neat to see UConn back in the Big East and having some of those traditional rivalries again with Villanova and St. John's. And I imagine again what big, what UConn will be able to sort of sell is those rivalries to a certain degree. That geographically now, uh, for recruits and even for fans, we are going to be back where we belong. Yeah, I mean, I think I don't know if it's you know maybe putting on the. Um uh, you know, the charm a little too much, but playing a bad St. John's team on a Saturday afternoon, I, I, I have to think that there will be, you know, 15, 20% more people than playing a bad Tulane team on a Saturday afternoon in Hartford. You know, that's just, that's right. just that's an interesting way to put it. Yeah, but that's a, but it's yeah. a good way to put it. I mean, I, basketball, if we're talking basketball on the court, I think the Big East is a better conference, but it's not markedly better than the American. You know, I think... Some of us maybe were ignorant of a lot of the programs, you know, before, and some of them have gotten a lot better. You know, your Houston's of the world, your UCF's of the world. You know, they've they've got very good basketball programs. Yeah, Memphis, they, they, Memphis is about to take Memphis. a huge step forward. They exactly. got this ridiculous recruiting class, right? Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of the overall talent and the 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 basketball played, the Big East is a is maybe a little bit of a step up, but it's not huge. But it's it's name recognition. It may be stupid, you know. Maybe it's it's backwards. But it's hey, it's what fan knows. Fans know. You know what I mean? They're they're used to seeing Georgetown play. They're used to seeing Villanova play. They want to see St. John's. You know, they want to see Providence. Providence is you know obviously a, they've had quite a bit of success against UConn too. That's that's a great game. Now is Providence going to be bad some years? And you know is UConn going to be bad some years? Sure, absolutely. But I, I think from UConn's perspective, their fans are going to want to see that game. A lot more than they're going to want to see, you know, UConn Tulsa on a, you know, a January Tuesday night. It's just the way it is. Okay, we're going to take a quick break here on the AP Top Twenty Five College Football Podcast. I'm talking with Neil Ostrout from the Journal Inquirer in Manchester, Connecticut. We're sort of piecing together this 
this conference realignment move with UConn uh, heading over, over to the Big East, but we'll be back in just a minute on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. And we're back on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I am joined today by Neil Ostrout from the Journal Inquirer of uh, Manchester, Connecticut. He has been a longtime uh, journalist covering UConn sports and, and a UConn grad also, right? Yeah, I, I am cursed with that as well, as a number of your uh, your colleagues in the uh, New York office, I believe. Exactly. There is a long <laughs> line of, uh, of UConn alums that have run through the AP offices here in New York, and some of them you even worked with, which uh, you know I'm sure must have been interesting back in the day. Some of them were silly enough to hire me, so it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's a disease. So we talked a lot about basketball hopefully getting better, and this is obviously an investment in basketball. I don't know if you've had a chance to sort of granularly run the numbers here. In my first look at it, the Big East has a nice TV deal. The Big East mm-hmm. TV deal is an outlier in college sports, and that is a network paid a lot for college basketball. And just mm-hmm. and just to give people the background on this, when the Big East made this move of breaking off the basketball schools, it was at the time when Fox was building its FS1. It was introducing FS1 as a thing, as a cable mm-hmm. sports entity. So it really needed programming, especially in the in the in the winter and spring when it didn't have college football. So it made a huge deal with the Big East, which has obviously had this great brand and still some vi- very viable teams in there. So the Big East teams, if, I've, if I'm read up correctly, make about $4 million a year from that television deal. And I think the deal also goes up if they add a team. So it looks like UConn could come away from this pretty much not not running too much of a loss compared to what it well forget what it was making in the AAC but compared to what it would have been made, making if it stayed in the AAC which also just had will have a new television deal kicking in in 2021 so that was a lot of words yeah. for me to say that <laughs> it sounds like the, they could have made about 7 million if they had stayed in the AAC right. but right. it's a, it's a yep. possibility that they could make about 6 if just with the big east move just from media rights deals Right, exactly. It's going to be, on paper, it looks like it's going to be a bit of a downgrade. Some of that, obviously, you have to factor in exit and entry fees, and we all know those can be negotiated. You know, it's looking like $10 million is the low end for UConn to get out. It's probably going to be more than that, probably more like 12 to 15 And the entry into the, into the Big East is usually, I think it's $2.5 million. But then again, the question is, how much does UConn qualify as far as that TV deal? Do they come in with a full share right away? Do they come in at like a 75% share? Where does where does all that kind of land? Right, because so that, that's of sort it, of standard operating procedure, again, for people to know. Like, generally speaking, when you enter a new conference, more often than not, you are not getting a full share of whatever the right. conference conference distribution distribution is. In some cases, that's been a little different. Like, again, when the AAC sort of formed, they were all new. So they sort of waived yep. a little bit of that. Yeah, I think West Virginia got a pretty good deal, obviously, in slightly different circumstances and was, you know, was eligible for a full share quicker. UConn obviously hopes that's the case. I don't think that's going to be the case, but it's all kind of hard to figure at this point, you know, the terms of exactly, you know, how much they lose leaving and how much they, they get, get coming in. But, yeah, I mean, from a financial standpoint, it, it might be a better situation for UConn. I guess, you know, time will kind of tell and – you know, obviously, NCAA tournament credits and, and whatnot, they expect to be much better in the Big East. And they, you know, they 
who knows in, in the going five year in the coming five years, but financially it might be okay for UConn basketball wise and. They hope football-wise as well. Obviously, you know, the, with their own con- controlling their own scheduling, they're obviously looking at a lot of guarantee games. They're probably not looking at garnering the greatest home schedule ever. Although they have scheduled out, you know, obviously football schedules are done out pretty far in advance. They have scheduled out for the next three, four years pretty well. So they're going to be okay. But you know, get over the next decade, what is its schedule going to look like? I don't know. I don't know what the what the prognosis is there. Yeah, one of the thing, ways that you can make money by staying in the FBS, and we, we talk about the idea of dropping down to FCS or just abandoning football altogether, which seems, or Division Two or something like that, which is a little bit extreme. Mm-hmm. If you're an FBS school and you decide, hey, we'll come to, hey, Clemson, we'll come visit you, which I think UConn already has one of these on the schedule. Yep. We'll come visit you in a couple of years. You don't have to come here. That's like a $1.5 million game, something along those lines. So you can make a little money by being a bad FBS team, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, UMass has, has already done that for a little while now. And every once in a while, they're competitive, too. But, yeah, it's, you're, you're going for a paycheck. And in some cases, you're going for a beating. You're saying, okay. You know, 1.4, yeah, that, that sounds about right for a 44-3 to 3 loss. You know, we'll, we'll take that. And, you know, the old, um, we see it up here, with the old Murray State of, bas- of uh, football, Murray State basketball, who would play anybody, anywhere, anytime for the right price in the last 20 years, you know. And they'd have, you know, 10, maybe 11, top 25, top 30 games on their roster. And that'd be the athletic funding for the year. And maybe, there, maybe there's a, a football barnstorming version of that in the future for UConn. I mean, it's... It's tough. You, you probably are going to take your lumps. You don't have much, if any, bull access. But it, hey, maybe you can make some money doing that. Yeah. You know, so the next, I guess, and, and again, these are questions that will be answered in the coming days, in coming weeks, even. But if you're Randy Edsel now, you know, listen. I mean, I think in some ways you're just happy to be back at UConn. A couple of years ago, he landed back there, and it seemed like a not a terrible idea to just get somebody competent after Diaco who sort of understood the program. Now, there hasn't been any progress now under Randy Edsel, so now there's some more questions about how long he has to last anyway there. Let's remove the discussion of where exactly UConn's going to be playing as far as conference and just sort of evaluate, like, what was this season going to be like for Edsel anyway? Was there any sign of hope for UConn moving into the 2019 season, and if they didn't make any improvement, were we looking at the end of Randy Edsel anyway? I think there was slash is hope for marginal improvement. I don't think that big strides were possible. I mean, when you have the worst defense in you know 125 years of major college football, it's <laughs> kind of kind of hard to get better overnight. So there's there's obviously. There's obviously going to be a, a you know uh, some some marge, some small uh, expectation improvement. Small, the defense can get a little better. The offense actually might be worse, but then again, you know, they had an okay offense last year. So I mean, you know, on the field, I think they're going to be a little bit better. Maybe like double their win total, you know, all the way up to two. That's you know a big one. Um, but yeah, it, it's I don't think Randy was necessarily long for this position regardless of UConn's conference affiliation. I think he had kind of kind of hoped to groom a successor. You know, my thinking that was Rhett Lashley when his, the offensive coordinator left Auburn to come to UConn. It seemed like a move at the time that was a little bit odd. And, you know, the feeling was that, well, if you want to be a head coach, you know, maybe 
you serve under the other head coach and you kind of move into that role and, you know, you go from there. That obviously didn't work out. Rhett Lashley stayed one year. Um, I don't know if there's anyone on his staff now who exactly fits that, that mold, but I thought, except, well, Randy would say his son, he'd, he'd love to see his son become a head coach and get that job. His son is also on his staff. Uh, he's Corey's not quite there yet, but I don't know that there's someone on his staff who he's sort of grooming, but I also don't think that Randy is necessarily here for the long haul either. Now that's not to say he's done right now, or he's done because they're, you know, switching conferences, but you know, there's certainly, um, there has to be sort of a plan for the future of UConn football. And I don't, I don't think Randy would even disagree that he's not the future 10 years from now. It is interesting. I, I could see a path here for UConn becoming better at football by disassociating itself from a conference. And it just as, and, and they're going to spin it this way, but I think there's mm-hmm. morsels of truth here that if they can get control of their schedule – and look at look at Army. Army has mm-hmm. has blossomed into this great story over the last couple of years in the way it's dominating its competition and it's really turned the program around. But Army is is not punching very high above its weight. I mean, they had the right. great game against Oklahoma last year. But if you look at Army's schedule, it's a lot of MAC teams and a couple of FC. I mean, literally a couple mm-hmm. of FCS teams, and they right. very much control the competition. And UConn could conceivably do that. The other thing UConn, I think, has going for it is relationships with schools that are sort of on its eye level anyway, right? I could see them playing UMass. I'm sure they're going to be playing UMass a ton now. Um, It might might be twice a year. (laughs) Yeah, which is great for UMass, quite frankly. Um, But I I could see, like, you know, they've reestablished a relationship with BC, and maybe that continues, and Syracuse and Army. uh, Army, also. I could see Army being on that schedule. Maybe you do bring in in one of those old Yankee Conference, um, you know, rivals now and again. I, I, I just, I could see a situation where, and I'll ask you this, if the schedule isn't as good, but UConn is more successful playing that schedule, do you think fans will be like, yeah, you know, uh, maybe you know, I'm not going to pack Rentschler, but this is better. Like, I'd rather see them go 6-6 six and six or 7-5 and five against sort of middling competition than us go 3-9 and nine against the AAC. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I think there's, there's some truth to that. I think, you know, not only... You know the name recognition in terms of the American um, was not was not there for Northeast football fans. Now, there's not a exact Connecticut isn't exactly a hotbed of uh, college football fans, anyways. But you know you bring in your your SMUs and your USFs and your UCFs. Those those teams aren't exactly going to going to move the needle in terms of attendance at UConn. Now, some of those teams are really good. Obviously, UCF has been dominant for years, but. Yeah, I think bringing in the regional teams will help a little bit. The, the biggest help, if, if we're going to look for positives, the biggest help it could be in terms of style of play. UConn's historic style of play, even as college football has evolved and become pass-happy, spread offense, you know, extreme speed, you know, there's not exactly too many plodding northeast cold-weather football teams anymore. But UConn's as close to that as, as anybody else. And playing teams in the American who are the exact opposite, you know, your Houston's of the world, your, your Memphis's, your UCF's, your USF's, you know, that style of play is not what UConn is historically used to. And the team has sort of slowly tried to modernize itself and, and play that way and design its defense to defend teams that way. 
But whether it's because of, you know, the athletes they're getting or because the, the coaches don't want to completely change over to a style like that, the style of play in the American has probably hurt UConn as much as the talent level. And maybe controlling your own schedule, bringing in the teams you want, you know, getting the – even Buffalo's been good, but even getting the Buffalo in there, getting Army, getting – obviously, if you can keep BC and Syracuse around, those kind of – teams well, maybe not maybe not Syracuse under under its current coach but sure. similar type teams you know might help UConn on the win-loss department yeah essentially you'd be playing against the schools you recruit against which is not the case now they are they, right. other than maybe Temple but if you if you look at and, and from what I've heard Temple is a school they will look to continue a relationship with maybe Rutgers yep. now listen Rutgers has aspirations to be a Big Ten school but they're in the Big Ten, but they're not a Big Ten program right now. So maybe exactly. keeping, keeping a relationship with Rutgers, trust me, I'm sure Rutgers right now would absolutely sign up for games against UConn because they can look at that and say, maybe that's one we can win. So, um, so, so <laughs> yeah. Is, the, would Rutgers would Rutgers feel it's too? Would Rutgers play a home and home with UConn? But that's that's a serious question going forward. I don't know. Rutgers football in terms of its product might not feel like it's too good for UConn, but Rutgers in terms of its University and athletic standing might feel that it's too good for UConn. You know, I'll, I'll so say I'll say this, Neil. As someone who sort of looks at this from a, from a national standpoint, there are still a yep. lot of schools in the ACC, sort of mid tier ACC schools, and even in the yep. Big Ten that just they don't want to spend the money on the buy games. Like it's a yeah. lot. Like you, you said, you know, it's one point four million, one point four million to bring UConn to your stadium. <laughs> so if touche. Yeah, I mean, if I'm if I'm Indiana, if I'm Purdue, I and mean, these are the schools that have already signed up for some home and homes yep. against UConn in the future, Duke, NC okay. State, a lot of them are still going to look toward UConn and say, and I've talked to people about this in a story that I'm probably going to be writing right after I get off the phone with you. <laughs> you know, they, they have a good stadium. They're pretty yep. easy to get to, right? Hartford Airport's right there. So for some schools that just don't want to get into the into the business of constantly buying and spending these big money to buy a home game, I think UConn still has some appeal that a, a school like UMass doesn't necessarily because UMass has kind of you know rundown facilities and it's UMass. Who are yeah. they? It's, it's it's a little harder to get to. So. I think UConn will still be able to strike some deals, especially regionally, because again, you talk about Rutgers. Well, first of all, if you're Rutgers, who are you to say, <laughs> you know, that you're too good for UConn? And secondly, like, it's a bus trip for all these schools that are still sort of pinching pennies as much as they're getting a huge, you know, huge amounts from their conferences. They're still looking to save a little money. So doing a home and home with UConn could probably make some sense. You know, listen, I think there'll be some challenges for UConn to put together a schedule that is interesting going forward. But I don't think they'll be too bereft of opponents still looking at them and going, yeah, you know, maybe a two for one. How about that? Yeah. My question is the new scheduling rules that certain conferences have as far as playing X number of, you know, uh, power five opponents per year. There were exemptions put in recently that says, okay, UConn, you count as that. You're close enough. You know, you're not, you're not a power five team. You know, we don't have to play the, the P6 game like the American, but sure. you know, you're not a power five, but you're going to count towards our total here. Now is UConn, when they become an independent and lose kind of their status, do they still qualify as that in terms of scheduling? Are teams going to be allowed under, under their conference scheduling rules to, to play UConn regularly? That, that's, 
that's a question I had. I'm not, I'm not sure how that kind of all shakes out. Yeah, that that becomes mm-hmm. tricky, and the simple fact that the Big East plays, excuse me, not the Big East, but the Big Ten plays nine conference games, so you literally have yep. just less opportunities there. Again, the, the AAC, it sounds like, is going to continue to play eight conference games. Uh, because yep. they're they're so adamant about being aggressive in the non-conference, and they they view that as a way to raise their profile. So if mm-hmm. if those AAC teams are still looking for four games, if the ACC is still looking for four games, but you're right, that'll be the balance. The balance will simply be how many spots are available. Can we find teams to play in November when conference schedules are are pretty much rolling along. Very few teams are playing non-conference games in October and November. So there'll be challenges without question. But I do think that that UConn is positioned a little better than the other FBS independents right now, aside from obviously Notre Dame, which is on a different stratosphere, BYU, right. which is a notch below that. But again, because it's such a big national brand is in a little different area than UConn. The other Absolutely. ones, the other ones are not particularly inspiring, right? It's Liberty, UMass, and New Mexico State. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that UConn's not necessarily thrilled with being uh, lumped into that group, but hey, they have a deep, rich history with Liberty. I can remember one game. So <laughs> there you go. So that's so, restart that rivalry. Here it comes. So yeah, they'll be able to play those teams a little bit, but the the, the challenges will be exactly like I said, finding those games in in October and November. Uh, but they, but UConn also does have an advantage over those three schools. And again, it's it's that stadium, it's its location, and it's a little bit of a name brand going forward because it has established itself as a brand nationally that Liberty, UMass, and New Mexico State haven't. So I think simply yeah. simple location benefits UConn in a way that those other independents don't. But it'll be it's the it's the only positive of having a stadium uh, 30 minutes from your campus, apparently. So you don't have to drive into the sticks of Connecticut to play football. <laughs> you can get off the plane, guys, and it's like 10, 15 minutes. It's a nice commute. It's no problem, you know? <laughs> Finally, that's working in UConn's favor. <laughs> it took a little while, but the plan all came together. Third, third time this century. They, they, got it, they got it figured out. Last one for you, Neil, before I let you roll is, do you think David Benedict, who's a relatively new AD, I mean, he's been in there, what, three, four years now? Yep, um, yep. three and change, yep. Do you think he will be hailed as a hero among UConn fans for this? Well, we, we, we'll have to, we, we love to judge uh, history after it's already written. So uh, right. it's, the, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's to be determined. No, I think I think it's a, it's a good move in this sense. UConn has been the reactor, the victim, the also ran uh, of college realignment. You know, for the last twenty, not not quite twenty years, but you know, ten or fifteen, they've been. Oh, what do we do now that somebody did something? Oh, how do we react to this? Well, this is the first time they're going on the offensive. They're they're making their own move, and maybe it's right, maybe it's wrong, but at least they got their choice. You know, and they're saying, look, we're going to do this. We think it's best. Could it backfire? I guess it could, but, you know, at least it's our call. At least it's our decision. We don't have to, you know, beg Syracuse not to go. We don't have to beg BC to let us, you know, come play with them. We don't have to, you know, wait and see if, if Notre Dame decides to finally join a conference. Can we be the other guy in there, you know? Can we, can we be the, the other one that comes, you know? They don't, wanna, they don't have to go, look, we like Louisville, but we're a little bit better than Louisville, so you probably should take us. And, you know, they're, they're, they're the last one picked for the game for the, you know, the fifth year in a row. You know, they're, 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 they're stepping out on their own and they're saying, look, this is what we're going to do. And 
I think in general, whether it, whether it fails or whether it works, you know, in, in five and 10 and 15 years from now, it, it's a bold move. And, you know, you, you get a little credit for doing it that way. Even, even if it doesn't exactly look like you've got the best plan for football, you, you're trying something, you know? You know what? That is like the best explanation I have heard of why this is a good idea for for UConn and Neil. I might actually, I'll promise to credit you, but I might use that in certain in certain capacities. Feel free, because it is. Free. It really is great. It's it's about time UConn sort of like you know did something for itself as as opposed to being reactive. Neil Ostrout is with the Journal Inquirer in Manchester, Connecticut. He has been covering UConn for a long period of time. UConn is the story of the, the, the offseason so far in college sports. Thanks so much for breaking it down and giving us an explanation of why we are where we are. Uh, I appreciate it, Ralph. Thanks for having me on. It's been a lot of fun. And now three and out, first down. UConn was barely out the door before we started speculating on who would replace the Huskies in the AAC? The answer could very well be nobody. The American is sending strong signals that unless Army or maybe BYU has a change of heart, the conference is pretty content to stick with 11 football members. Losing a member won't affect the league's newly signed ESPN deal that kicks in in 2021. One less member means more money for the remaining schools. Army has always been conference-averse after its awful experience in Conference USA in the 1990s. As for BYU, the Cougars won in a Power 5 conference, and when the American tried to recruit BYU a few years back, when the old Big East was being picked apart, the talks didn't go very well. One wild card in all this, BYU is in the process of re-upping with ESPN for another TV deal. I do wonder if the worldwide leader could step in and broker a deal between the American and BYU that would be amenable to all involved. Second down. One last thing on UConn, and it's related to ESPN, which is headquartered in Bristol, Connecticut. The relationship between the school and the network has always been a good one, and I wouldn't be surprised if UConn football gets some type of deal with ESPN to show its games when the program goes independent. Now, that mostly might involve the streaming service ESPN+, but I suspect that while UConn is unlikely to get a deal like BYU, it should do better than UMass, Liberty, and New Mexico when it comes to television rights. Third down, early recruiting rankings tend to be fool's gold, so please proceed with caution. But also, why not be optimistic in June, especially when you're Louisville? who has not had much to be happy about in the last year or so, new coach Scott Satterfield currently has 20 commits for the 2020 class, and that class ranks 20th in the country according to 247 Sports. There are mostly three stars in there, but considering the major rebuild Louisville is going through right now, that's an encouraging sign. Other teams in the top 20 that might make you go, hmm? North Carolina at number 12, Iowa at number 18. Farther up the rankings, Notre Dame is at number five, and talk around South Bend is that this has potential to be the highest-rated class in Brian Kelly's tenure. The top four, as of right now, for the class of 2020 in terms of recruiting, Clemson, Alabama, LSU, and Georgia. So yeah, the beat goes on. That's the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, Warren Levinson, for making me sound good as always. 
You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts and at Podcast One. Please subscribe so you do not miss an episode. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening, and come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.